Before the Fellowship was the greatest story you've never heard. I'm Cameron. I'm Dan. I'm Greg. Join us as we read and react to The Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien. Last time we continued Chapter 21. Turin realized he was deceived by Glaurung after returning to Dor Loman. He slew the Easterlings in his rage and took the name Torumbar, Master of Doom. Morwen and Neonor heard about Turin and rode into the wilderness to find him. Morwen was lost, and Glaurung cast a spell on Neonor, putting her in a fog of darkness. Eventually, she is found by Turin, but they do not realize each other's identity. Today, we continue Chapter 1, beginning on page 219 of the second edition. On the next day, they bore her towards Ethel Brandir. But when they came to Dimrost, the rainy stair, where the tumbling stream of Celebros fell towards Teglin, a great shuddering came upon her. Wherefore, afterwards, that place was called Nengirith, the shuddering water. Ere she came to the home of the woodmen upon Amon Obel, she was sick of a fever, and long she lay thus, tended by the women of Brethil, and they taught her language as to an infant. But ere the autumn came by the skill of Brandir, she was healed of her sickness, and she could speak. But nothing did she remember of the time before she was found by Turambar on the mound of Hoden Elith. And Brandir loved her, but all her heart was given to Turumbar. In that time the woodmen were not troubled by the orcs, and Turumbar went not to war, and there was peace in Brethil. His heart turned to Nianel, Niniel, and he asked her in marriage, but for that time she delayed in spite of her love. For Brandir foreboded he knew not what, and sought to restrain her, rather for her sake than his own, or rivalry with Turambar. And he revealed to her that Turambar was Turin, son of Hurin. And though she knew not the name, a shadow fell upon her mind. But when three years were passed since the sack of Nagathrond, Turambar asked Niniel again, and vowed that now he would wed her, or else go back to war in the wild. And Niniel took him with joy, and they were wedded at the midsummer, and the woodmen of Brethil made a great feast. But ere the end of the year, Glaurung sent orcs of his dominion against Brethil, and Turambar sat at home, deedless, for he had promised to Niniel that he would go, he would go to battle only if their homes were assailed. But the woodmen were worsted. And Dorlas abraded him that he would not aid the people that he had taken for his own. Then Turambar arose and brought forth again his black sword, and he gathered a great company of the men of Brethil, and they defeated the orcs utterly. But Glaurung heard tidings that the black sword was in Brethil, and he pondered what he heard, devising new evil. In the spring of the year after Niniel conceived, and she became wan and sad, and at the same time there came to Ethelbrand the first rumors that Glaurung had issued from Nagathrond. Then Turambar sent out scouts far afield, for now he ordered things as he would, 
and few gave heed to Brandir. As it drew near to summer, Glauron came to the borders of Brethil, and lay near the west shores of Teglin. And then there was great fear among the woodfolk, for it was now plain that the great worm would assail them and ravage their land, and not pass by, returning to Angband as they had hoped. They sought therefore the counsel of Turambar, and he counseled them that it was vain to go against Glaurong with all their force, for only by cunning and good fortune could they defeat him. He offered therefore himself to seek the dragon on the borders of the land, and bade the rest of the people to remain at Ethelbrandir, but to prepare for flight. For if Glaurung had the victory, he would come first to the woodmen's home to destroy them, and they could not hope to withstand him. But if they then scattered far and wide, then many might escape, for Glaurung would not take up his dwelling in Brethil, and would return soon to Nogathrond. Then Turambar asked for companions willing to aid him in his peril, and Dorlas stood forth, but no others. Therefore Dorlas upbraided the people, and spoke scorn of Brandir, who could not play the part of the heir of the house of Haleth. And Brandir was ashamed before his people, and was bitter at heart. But Hunthor, kinsman of Brandir, asked his leave to go in his stead. Then Turambar said farewell to Niniel, and she was filled with fear and foreboding, and their parting was sorrowful. But Turambar set out with his two companions and went to Nen-Girith. Then Niniel, be being unable to endure her fear and unwilling to wait in the effled tidings of Turambar's fortune, set forth after him, and a great company went with her. At this, Brandir was filled all the more with dread, and he sought to dissuade her and the people that would go with her from this rashness, but they heeded him not. Therefore he renounced his lordship, and all love for the people that had scorned him, and having not left but his love for Niniel, he girt himself with a sword and went after her. But being lame, he fell far behind. Now Turambar came to Nengirith at sundown, and there he learned that Glaurung lay on the brink of the high shores of Teglin, and was like to move when night fell. Then he called those tidings good, for the dragon lay at Kabed and Aras, where the river ran in a deep and narrow gorge that a hunted deer might overleap, and Turambar thought that he would seek no further but would attempt to pass over the gorge. Therefore he purposed to creep down at dusk and descend into the ravine under night and cross over the wild water, and then to climb up the further cliff and so come to the dragon beneath his guard. This counsel he took, but the heart of Dorlas failed when they came to the races of Tiglin in the dark, and he dared not attempt the perilous crossing but drew back and lurked in the woods, burdened with shame. Turambar and Hunthor, nonetheless, crossed over in safety, for the loud roaring of the water drowned all other sounds, and Glaurung slept. But ere the middle night the dragon roused, and with a great noise and blast 
cast his forward part across the chasm and began to draw his bulk after. Turambar and Hunthor were well nigh overcome by the heat and the stench, and they sought in haste for a way up to come at Glaurung. And Hunthor was slain by a great stone that was dislodged from on high by the passage of the dragon, and smote him on the head and cast him into the river. So he ended, of the house of Haleth, not the least valiant. Then Turambar summoned all his will and courage and climbed the cliff alone, and came beneath the dragon. Then he drew Girthang, and with all the might of his arm and of his hate, he thrust it into the soft belly of the worm, even up to the hilts. But when Glaurung felt his death pang, he screamed, and in his dreadful throw he heaved up his bulk and hurled himself across the chasm, and there lay lashing and coiling in his agony. And he set all in a blaze about him, and beat all to ruin, until at last his fires died, and he lay still. Now Girthang had been wrested from Turambar's hand in the throw of Glaurung, and it clave to the belly of the dragon. Turambar therefore crossed the water once more, desiring to recover his sword and to look upon his foe, and he found him stretched at his length and rolled upon one side. And the hilts of Girthang stood in his belly. Then Turambar seized the hilts and set his foot upon the belly and cried in mockery of the dragon and his words at Nagathrond, Hail, worm of Morgoth! Well met again! Die now, and the darkness have thee. Thus is Turin, son of Hurin, avenged. Then he wrenched out the sword, but a spout of black blood followed it and fell on his hand, and the venom burned it. And thereupon Glaurung opened his eyes and looked upon Turambar with such malice that it smote him as a blow. And by that stroke and the anguish of the venom, he fell into a dark swoon and lay as one dead, and his sword was beneath him. So in summary, Neonor is healed of her sickness but does not remember her past. Turin Torambar proposes marriage to her, and after some hesitation they marry. Orcs began to spread throughout the land, and Turambar once again wields the black sword. Glaurung hears word of the sword and comes to Brethil. Turambar and two companions set out to face Glaurung. Nianor, Nianel, or Nianel, takes a sword and follows them. Dorlas turns back, and Hunthor is killed by a falling stone. Turambar continues and manages to deal Glaurung a deadly blow but he loses his sword, which becomes lodged in the belly of the dragon. He returns to retrieve it, and as he does, the dragon's venomous blood burns him, and Glaurung's malicious gaze knocks Turambar down. Yeah, this story is just sadder and sadder, isn't it? It is. It has some satisfaction to it, the fact that he takes the fight to Glaurung and is successful. I mean... I, I love the way it's described where he 
he's willing to go by himself. He's just like, if anyone will come with me, doesn't really matter, but I'm going. And then there's only two who are brave enough to go with him. And those two, one ends up just um, too scared to cross the river because it's right. they're in this big gorge. The river's raging. It's the middle of the night. They're it's approaching a, a dragon. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I give up. And he just leaves in shame. And then the other one tries to go with him, but then is killed by a falling rock. So Turin is just so brave. Uh, I, maybe you'd say foolhardy. I don't know. I think he's brave. I think we've kind of come to this point where he's like got nothing to lose. You know, he's, yeah. uh... but he also has a plan. He's not like running right, at right. screaming at him. It's he, clever. He's a, he's a complex character. I mean, there's lots of faults with him, but I mean, I think we can say he's brave. He might be foolhardy as well as brave, but this seems like an act of bravery. Definitely brave in war. Yeah. And uh, he marries his sister. They have a baby. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah. You know, I thought was. Star Wars was bad. Was. <laughs> you know, like, like, like why? why have you, it doesn't make sense. They have them kiss. It's like, well, they didn't know. So yeah, neither uh. did George Lucas know at that point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> we can let them off. Tragic, right? Like, it's like them two have a bond, like a tragic bond. Like they come from sorrow. Their lives are sorrowful. They see familiarity in each other, and they feel like that's. Something they just want, you know. Right. I you can understand Turin just wanting the his this companion. Um, his life is one of sorrow and and woe. But it is tragic because they they just don't know. They're both sad people coming together. Yeah. I feel like there's got to be a happy ending though, right? <laughs> I don't know. Greg only let me read like two pages. So I don't know. No, I know how it ends. Yeah, well, me too. Okay, I I, I do feel Brandir is like an interesting character in this story too. He's he's the one that cures her of her sickness, and um, he loves her, and he loves her. His whole heart, or loved her, but all her heart was given to Turnbar. Hmm. Yeah, Sad and then day. is he the one who follows them, but he has like a limp? Yes. Oh, I just thought that meant he's lame as in like he's just not uh, Like he's a loser? Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but being a loser, he's so far behind. <laughs> what a dweeb. Therefore, he renounces lordship and all love for the people. This is after they didn't listen. He's like, well, he is a bit lame in both senses because yeah. they don't follow his leadership. Um, and then he's like, all right, fine, I'll go. Um, runs after them, but falls far behind. It's it's kind of it's also another layer of just depressing. Mm -hmm. How is this story like so depressing, but also good and enjoyable? That's a great question. Really I wouldn't call question. it good or enjoyable. <laughs> uh, you don't think it's a I good mean, story? Well, good isn't like the quality of the story. No, I I, I think it's well written. It's interesting. It's uh, full of darkness. 
It's it's not exactly like an edifying story. I don't know. I'm edified. Yeah, there's it. some elements of it that are oddly edifying. Like defi- what is edif- edification? But, mm. The Find building up. Uh, like the moral yeah. building up or the encouragement of. The instruction or improvement of a person morally or intellectually. I'm totally edified by this story. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Even though it's sad and tragic. Because it, it like, it points to reality from different directions. Points to what's real and what's true. It does, it's, I think what's hard for me about this story, though, is that Turmbar, it's it really does just seem like he's a cursed man. Like, I think he's so, trying yeah. to do decent things. He's trying to do good things sometimes. Sometimes he does things that he that like anyone would know are not right or not the best, but he's like legitimately trying to do good things for the most part. And even in doing so, it just leads to greater tragedy. And well, you say that, but okay. Even though he's not, you know, sitting on a beach drinking mojitos somewhere after killing a dragon, he killed a dragon. And, like, that is in itself some victory in his life. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, I, we, we shouldn't consider a happy ending to be, like, a emotionally satisfying ending for the hero, but a virtuous, you know, victorious ending. Like, his bravery and his intelligence led to this moment where he's able to free this land from this, this scourge. Mm, I don't know. I mean, I, I I can get. I appreciate the story. I just maybe I maybe I'm just wired differently. But I I don't know. I think I mean, and I've also read ahead. And spoiler, he doesn't end his life in like a virtuous manner. You know, yeah. he yeah he, he he doesn't he doesn't exactly like. There's not really redemption for him. He's and, not. And we haven't seen that yet. Well, no, there is. Okay, but, so but, but well, maybe this is what you're getting at. Yeah. Just the fact that he slayed Glaurung is like good for all the free people of the land. Like it's good yeah, for any yeah. enemy of also, Morgoth. Let's put it this way. Let's say you had a pretty sad life, and some would say tragic, but you overthrew the Chinese Communist Party or something like that mm. by your actions. But like but you're really sad at home or like you have tragic things happen in your family. It's like, well, that's the thing though. It's not defi- just that is it's that sad a good and tragic. Life? It's like immoral. Okay. Like, that's and like, yeah. and like hot headed and, and hasty. And I'm not saying uh, I, li- I, I like him, you know, like, he, Oh, he, he's a great character, but I do think this is one of my favorite stories. There's also somewhere where, where I read it or saw it somewhere that there's, there's a, legend within this universe that he he comes back to life and finally destroys Morgoth. Like I don't know if that's in the Silmarillion. The, uh, immortal, I've heard of that. Where where he he's like um that's interesting. what's the word? He's uh there's a prophecy that the spirit of like yes. Turumba comes back and destroys yes. You're right. Is that in the Silmarillion or is that in one of these like extras? I think it's in. I think it's in some of the extras somewhere because yeah. I don't think it's at the end of this chapter. But that does ring a bell with me. So I mean, I think that's what is interesting to me. It's like maybe that's the redemp- that's the redemption um, 
but it's not a it's not a kind it's not a nice story it's not a fluffy you know, story i will say though that part of like part of why one might find some sympathy for turambar is that he is a victim of morgoth in a sense yeah he's part of this doom of this curse on his father and all of his you know all of his kin are like kind of under this curse and so there is kind of this um the certain way that even unwittingly they just keep they're, they're like as much as they might try to do good things they're just confounded by this curse and it it brings more tragedy which often leads to them doing worse things that then lead to more tragedy so they i think he does have some agency and some of the evil that's like present in his life is the result of his own actions yeah but a lot of it and kind of the source of all this stuff is Morgoth's influence through this curse. And that is, that is pitiable at least. And you can, you know, I mean, even for us, like, okay, what, what, what should we take from this? Cause I think one thing in that, in light of that is like each of us, especially Cameron have <laughs> just like these natural weaknesses, like that we didn't choose. <laughs> no. uh, we didn't choose to have this temperament or this. I mean, like, just look just, at me. <laughs> if you if you're on you, the YouTube channel, just look at me while Greg is talking. Just look at me. Uh, now I feel like a jerk. <laughs> okay, so wait, he, wait, he, well, look, can I finish this thought? Yeah, go ahead. Like just you know, we have we have weaknesses, we have imperfections that aren't our own choosing. Like they just we're we're we have them, and we do our best to overcome them and to grow. But it's not like. We had any- yeah, here's what I'd say related to what I said earlier. Turin has weaknesses, but he did something so incredible, so great. It's like, that's what we take from this, is we all have weaknesses. And yeah, maybe we're a little hot-headed or impatient or whatever, but that shouldn't stop us from slaying the dragon. Hmm. Like, we can still do great stuff, even though we have some... We're not perfect. We can still do great things, even though we might be accursed. Um, you know, or or it, it like if you looked at our life and you looked at like the facts of our life, you see, wow, that ended really badly for that person. Okay, so Tur- I think that Tolkien likes Turin. Um, I think Tolkien really likes him. I mean, like in the Lay of the Children of Hurin, this is how he's described: on manhood's threshold, he was mighty Holden in the wielding of weapons. And in the weaving song, he had a minstrel's mastery, but mirth was not in it, for he mourned the misery of the men of Hithlam. Yet greater his grief grew thereafter, when from Hithlam's hills he heard no more. And no traveller told him tiding of Morwen, for those days were drawing to the doom of the gnomes and the power of the prince of the people of hell. I, it, it, like, he's, he's wielding weapons. He has minstrel's mastery mastery he's mighty holden um but he's sad you know like this is it seems that tolkien is showing this great hero in a way he's a hero he there's obviously moral problems with him he can do heroic things Mm -hmm. but he's stricken with tragedy and sadness and Hmm. i think tolkien likes him i do wonder we in I think it hasn't come out just yet, but the 
our little bonus episode that Dan and I recorded on the Chippy book. Um, there is something about, I'm sure there's something that Tolkien can relate to in Turin, because Turin, kind of above all else, like what, what really is the context of his whole life is war. He's like a, a child of war. His father was a warrior who was captured in war and his homeland was pillaged by enemies. And like, he's just been, and of course, if you're, if that's like your whole life, like even before you were born and all through your life, you're born into this pre-existing conflict and just thrust into it from the very beginning of your life. Of course, it's going to include destruction and despair and you will not only witness evil things, but you may be forced to do evil things at certain moments or, um, and, and at the same time it demands heroics too. And it demands bravery. So I think maybe that's part of, and I, I mean, Tolkien, what he was, he wasn't a child in the first world war, but he, he had seen, he had seen both great wars firsthand and, um, I think there's something that's hard maybe for us to to grasp of like the atrocities of that war. Like you see it in all kinds of art that came in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. Like people that had lived through the Second World War and and really seen terrible things. There's like really amazing art that comes from that that has some serious darkness in it, you know? Yeah, I mean... He so Tolkien had written, you know, after I think World War One, when he was doing his undergrad, he wrote this story that has some elements of. I think we might have talked about it last week a little bit, elements of the Silmarillion in it, but apparently it was really depressing that people were genuinely worried about him because it was just dark and death and and broodiness and he was yeah. a teenager too, so there's part of that. Um, but yeah, he, he experienced a lot of loss and, and grief in his life. Mm -hmm. What aspects of Turin's life would you say are just patently immoral? Hmm. Um, I mean, he did become like an outlaw and yeah, so at the beginning, yeah, so is Robin Hood. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't kill his friend and then run away. Hey, what's the difference Wait, you between... mean Balag? No, uh, Sa Salos. Oh, yeah, remind me what happened there. So, basically, they, they were, like, in some kind of kerfuffle about something, and Salos is right. running away, and Salos falls into a pit and, and dies, but at chase, being given chase from um, yeah, Turin. But so? then he, like, doesn't stand up and face... the face the fact and then he joins a band of okay. people that kill orcs and men and anything that crosses okay, their path there you go so there you go yeah to me what's the difference between outlaws and in-laws um, um outlaws are nice time i don't know outlaws are wanted <laughs> hey yo <laughs> no my in-laws are great in case you're listening i love them <laughs> all right um so when I see Turin, uh, Turin's life, I see tragedy. Tragedy that leads to, the, leads to this wayward life, outlaw, killing men, just like selfish. But his life ends up in a place where, yes, he 
has some, you know, rough edges. He's hot-headed, as you say, but that's like it. I would classify that as an imperfection, not an immoral characteristic. I I see the life he's living now as one that's redeemed, and that it shows that he is willing to kill a dragon, not because it's in his way and he's a, in a bounded band of outlaws. Like, as an outlaw, he would just be worried about his own safety and just collecting his own money and all that. But fighting this dragon, he's he's doing something for, for others. I, I don't know something if I agree great. with that assessment. I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. It's a good thing that this, this king of dragons is gone, but I think it's more has to do with his own personal uh, vendetta. You know, yeah, vendetta with with Glaurung. Not like <clears throat> he's not. I don't think he's like out there trying to serve the people necessarily. But I might be wrong. I'm not. But I'm not are, an expert in this. Are topic. all actions just purely you know crystallized into this you know, perfect thing, or is there a little bit of like I'm doing this for a really good reason, but I also want to do it for these other reasons and. Even if he has some selfish desire, like let's say he wants to get back at Glaurung, he's still taking on a dragon and saving the world or saving mm -hmm. the land. It's a really good thing. Yeah, I think it's in his nature to go out and war. I think he 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 yearns and longs to fight, um, and so his motives could be mixed. But I don't think it's purely, I've got to get back at Glaurung. I think because his nature is to battle, um, I think there could be a, a sense of, there's an evil out there, it needs to be destroyed. I'm going to do it. Yeah, he says he offers, therefore, himself. He says, we're not going to go in force against Glaurung. We need cunning. Therefore, he bades the rest of the people to remain behind and to prepare for flight. So he's like, here's how I'm going to save you. You're going to you're going to run and you're going to run in all different directions basically. And then I'm whoever's going to come with me, we're going to go face the dragon. Sounds to me like there's a great virtue behind what he's doing. Um yeah, maybe he wants to get back at Glaurung, that's probably true, but but we shouldn't condemn Turin for his imperfections for doing a great moral virtue, I think bravery you know courage hmm. i tend to agree um but yeah yeah i yeah I, yeah I tend to agree no buts okay any last words any i last guess we'll I, I do wonder in this last you know because the next reading will be the end of this chapter in the story of turin turambar i wonder if that will influence like because okay. I have read that too, so I wonder if that will influence yeah, yeah, like yeah. how we see him as a character. Tune yeah, I week. mean, he's a developing character, and and yes, we we shouldn't say too much more because it will ruin next episode. Let's leave it there, and then Greg will be vindicated in the following <laughs> episode. Come back next week for Greg's vindication. Glowering if you like what you hear, <laughs> go ahead and rate us three Silmarils out of three. That's a hundred percent. That's five stars out of five stars. That's two thumbs out of two. Follow us everywhere at Before the Fellowship. Join the D Discord discussion. The link is in the description. And send any comments or questions to beforethefellowship at gmail.com. 
And join us next week as we read The Greatest Story You've Never Heard, The Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien. Compact. I want to change my name because you guys keep doing it loads. Uh, I want to do it in honor of Niniel. I want to call myself Danielle. Danielle, that has a ring to it. Yeah. The most tragic character so far.